uh, when I got up to speak this morning, I touched on the responsibility and uh, the privilege, but the, I guess the weight of getting up to proclaim a message from God's Word. And there are just some days when I feel not up to the task. I feel inadequate. And I'm not looking for you to, you know, give me a pat on the back as I go out the door tonight. I'm just trying to be transparent with you. Um, And I think one of the reasons I got to thinking about this is because in some of our Sunday school classes, in the material, we're talking this quarter about preaching and ministry. And there was a quote in there from Tom Holland, a veteran preacher, and he said this, sermons should inform the ignorant, denounce the moral compromiser, expose false doctrine, inspire the faithful, challenge the indifferent, encourage the despondent, and reveal God's plan of salvation for the human family. Now that's a lot to fit into a 25 minute, and I said 25 minute in class this morning, and I won't say who said 25 minutes. I said, well, hey, to fit all that stuff in, sometimes you got to go a little over. Sometimes you got to go 30 or 35. But man, that's a lot to think about incorporating uh, into preaching, into sermons. He said, therefore, sermons are designed to accuse, to inform, to stir, to convince to persuade, to reassure, and to present saving truth. So I was reminded again this week of the privilege, but also the great responsibility that I have as a preacher of God's Word. And I'm thinking about this quote and these thoughts I've been sharing in terms of or in relation to the topic tonight. Because when you get up before an audience this size, the needs are varied. Now, none of us have a need in here that the gospel does not speak to. But the gospel speaks in different ways to the various needs that we have. Tonight, I'm talking about the importance of rest. And I'm going to be speaking to those of you who struggle with withdrawing and taking some time uh, to relax and and rest and sit down. But not everybody might need to hear that message because there may be some here who struggle with um, apathy, with indifference, with laziness. And so the message to you from God's Word, I believe, would be it's time to get up. It's time to get up off the recliner, get up off the couch, get to work, That, in many ways, was Paul's message to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6. If you've got your Bible, grab your Bible. We're going to flip around to several passages tonight. And no technology tonight, so we're going to do it old school. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul's message is, you are not the servant of God that you once were. And I've heard somebody remark that this... The Timothy that Paul is talking to in 2 Timothy seems different than the one he's talking to in 1 Timothy. Because it seems that Timothy has lost some of his zeal, some of his desire uh, to serve the Lord. And so what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 is, 
I am reminding you to fan into flame the gift of God. It's still in you. The embers are there, but the flames have died out. And I'm here to stoke the embers a little bit. And you need to be fanning that flame back into fire. You need to regain some of the zeal and the excitement that you once had for serving the Lord. You need to get up. You need to get up off the recliner. You need to put your hands to the plow and not look back. It's time to get to work. And that's the message that God's Word speaks to those of us who struggle with feeling indifferent toward the cause of Christ. Who struggle with sitting around a little too much and being too lazy. But, to those of us who have co-opted our culture's idolatry of busyness, the message of God's Word is very different. The message of God's Word is, like some old-timers used to say, come and sit a spell. You need to take a load off. You need to slow down a little bit. You need to rest. And so, to use Brother Holland's words, tonight I am here to persuade the hyper-busy folks in the audience, to rest. And I'm also here to reassure those of you who are resting regularly that you aren't doing anything wrong. Because sometimes in our culture, those of us who decide to rest on a regular basis can sometimes feel guilty about that. And we even say things like, oh, I took a nap today, I really should not have done that. Mm. And we're apologetic about taking time to rest. Or, I took a day off of work. I had a lot to do. I probably should not have done that. You see, this kind of, man, people are popular tonight in here. (laughs) All right. Maybe this is going to go along with the sermon a little bit. Okay. Uh, So from the beginning, God has recognized our need for rest. I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 2. Watch my phone be the next one to go off. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. The creation of the universe is complete. Let's see what comes next. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God, on the seventh day, after creating all things in six, decides to rest. Now does God need the rest? Surely not. Surely the God of the universe, the creator of all things, does not need to rest. So what is going on here? Well, I think what's happening is God himself is modeling for his human creation a healthy rhythm of work and rest. He is saying to us, work is vitally important. Work has been important for humanity since before the fall. It's not all bad. It was made bad in the fall, but it it inherently is good. Work is good. But rest is also good. And rest is necessary. And it's required. And God doesn't just tell us that, He shows us that in the very first week that ever existed. He creates in six and He rests in seven in order to model for us a healthy rhythm of life that includes both work and rest. Now from this passage, as you know, comes the Sabbath. That 
week, that day that the Jews commemorated once a week where they did absolutely nothing in order to uh, follow the direction, the leading of God. And in the New Testament, Jesus makes an observation about the Sabbath because the Sabbath had been twisted and religious leaders through the years had tacked on all of these requirements on top of it and it wasn't a blessing anymore, it was a burden. But Jesus rebukes those folks and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, I should know. Jesus is saying, you are making the Sabbath something that it was not intended to be. The Sabbath was intended to be a blessing. The Sabbath was made to benefit man, to help man, to get man into a healthy rhythm of work and rest. But you have distorted it to where it's no longer a blessing. I was interested to read in a couple of the Psalms this week where the psalmists view rest and sleep as a gift from God. Look with me in the third psalm at verse 5. Psalm 3, verse 5. The psalmist reflects, I lay down and I slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. The Lord allowed me to lay down and He allowed my eyes to close and He allowed me to drift off into sleep and He woke me up, He sustained me the whole thing, the psalmist recognizes that sleep is a great gift from God. And we ought to give God the glory for being able to enjoy it. And Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, fast forward many years, and consider with me the ministry of Jesus. The time that Jesus spent on the earth, you know that Jesus worked very hard. And he was on the road, ministering, teaching, healing. But Jesus, as you also probably know, took time to rest. I think about a couple occurrences in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, at verse 35, the Gospel writer tells us, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, carved out space and time in his busy schedule, and he wasn't on earth very long. He only lived until around the age of 33. I'm about to turn 33. Jesus was a young man. And his ministry only lasted three years or so. Well, I've been in ministry ten years. And that doesn't seem like very long. Jesus was not on earth for very long, and his ministry was very brief, and yet he still found time to rest. He placed a great premium on it. He viewed it as very important. He would steal away early in the morning while it was still dark, go off by himself to a deserted place, and there he would pray to God. And I think also of chapter 3, verse 7, where on this occasion he withdraws with his disciples in order for them, for them to rest. And I think he is probably modeling for him what his practice has been, which is to, to get away and to take some time off and to rest, to come and sit down a spell. 
They were not able to do this on this particular occasion in Mark 3 because the crowds uh, swarmed around them, but they were trying. Now, if the Son of God was so limited by humanity and needed to rest, how much more do we need to rest? Do we need to take time off? I mean, we see Jesus working and then resting, but we think we don't need rest? Do we think that we're more capable than the Messiah? Do we think we have more energy uh, to last longer in, in ministry than Jesus himself? If Jesus took time to rest, then so should we. Now, just expanding our vision from beyond simply the Scriptures and the Word of God, as we look around us in this world, there are basic observable facts that show us we must have rest in order to function properly. I want to share a quote with you from a book I read on leadership a few years back. And here, here it is. The author says, There is a finiteness to what I can do in this body. And yet, how many of us act like we are unlimited? <laughs> and we can just go and go and go. But this author says, There is a finiteness to what I can do in this body. There is a finiteness to how many relationships I can engage in meaningfully at one time. There is a finiteness to time, how many hours there are in a day how many days there are in a week, how much can be done in those blocks of time. There is a finiteness to my energy. There comes a time when I'm tired. There comes a time when I'm sick. There comes a time when I'm injured. There are times when I'm reminded that I'm human. A finite being living in the presence of an infinite God. God is the infinite one. God is the one who can be all things to all people. God is the one who can be in all places at once. God is the one who never sleeps. I am not. Just observing from basic biology and from space and time, we ought to know that we are limited. And we ought to live within those limits. Even Jesus did. But in our culture, rest is becoming an increasingly precious commodity. It's increasingly difficult to find. I mean, just look at our calendars. They are more crowded and packed full of events than ever before. And there's no time and there's no day that's off limits. I am not really old enough to remember a time when activities were not scheduled on Sundays or maybe even Wednesday nights. But in this day and age, there's something going on all the time. And so it is increasingly difficult to, to carve out time in order to rest and withdraw and take some time away. But here's something else. Fewer people in our culture are actually even looking for rest. They're not even pursuing it. We, and we have bought into this as God's people as Christians. We flaunt our busy schedules like badges of honor. You've heard how we brag about how busy we are. We're proud of it. We say, oh, you wouldn't believe the week I've had. You wouldn't believe all the things I've been into. I've hardly gotten any sleep. We've been running here and there. We had to drive up there and down there. The kids had this going on. My wife had to do this. We have just been slammed lately. We've been so busy. And we brag about it. We boast. We're proud of how busy our lives have become. 
I find it interesting that we have rejected a lot of other unfaithful cultural trends. We don't buy what the culture is selling when it comes to sexual immorality or many other moral issues. But somehow, culture's view of how time should be used and this idolatry of busyness, this has somehow slipped in the back door of the church. This has seeped in to our psyches. And we no longer sense that God has called us to live in a different way in regard to our time and our schedules. We are just like the rest of the people in the world in in this rat race and doing something all the time. God's people, I firmly believe, are supposed to be operating at a different pace than the harried, frenetic culture around us. And before we go tonight, I want to offer you a few principles, a few truths that hopefully will be helpful and beneficial to you as we seek to work in times of rest and rejuvenation into our schedules. So here's the first one. If we don't manage our social media use wisely, we will not be able to rest well. And now some of you just tune me out because you you're not a social media user. Uh, but maybe I should say internet use. And maybe we've still got some in here who don't use the internet a whole lot. But more and more of us are using the internet and are involved in social media. I can't remember how many Facebook accounts there are now. I think the number that they reached, their most recent milestone was 4 billion. I think. Somebody could could check me out. Not right now. Don't get your phone out and start checking, checking me, fact-checking. I don't want to be fact-checked in real time while I'm preaching, okay? So I think it was 4 billion. That's a lot of people. How many people live on this planet? Seven? So 4 billion folks are now plugged in to this social media platform. And here's another example of where the church is just, we've, we're just sort, sort of riding the culture train. I mean, we've bought into this too, and we are not as diligent and discerning about our use of social media as we ought to be. Social media can make us feel like, here's how social media is an enemy of rest. Social media can make us feel like we're not doing enough. So when we get on there, no matter how much we're serving the Lord, no matter in what capacity we are serving in the kingdom, we get on there and see somebody involved in something else, and we think, oh, I should be doing that. I shouldn't be doing this. I need to redirect my efforts over here. Or we see somebody who is accomplished and achieved in a certain arena of life, and we think, man, I just, I hadn't done enough in my life. I got to get busy. Look at at what she's done. Look at what what he's achieved. I'm a failure. I've got to be doing something more in order to be more successful like them. Do you see how this works? How that's an enemy of rest. We get on there, we think we're going to kick our feet back, and then we get on there and we start scrolling through, and we're seeing all these people and all the great things that they're doing, and people only put the great stuff on Facebook, okay? They leave off all the the terrible stuff. And then we think, we start to feel anxious, and our blood pressure goes up, and our heart starts beating a little faster, and we feel so unworthy, and we feel like we're not doing enough, we got we to get out there and get busy again. And up we go. And that time of rest that we so desperately needed 
is railroaded by our use of social media. Social media can steal time that would be better spent resting. Using social media is not the best use of time when you really want to decompress, when you really need to rest. And social media can prevent us from giving our full attention to anything because it trains us to multitask and to share our attention in various pursuits, which we cannot do and we should not try to do. So social media diverts us from giving our full attention to anything, including rest. Let me share uh, an excerpt from an article I read recently. It was an op-ed in the Washington Post, and it was written by a Christian author named Philip Yancey. And he talks about how books have been so important in his life. Books have helped shape him spiritually. But then he begins to confess, I don't read as widely and as deeply as I once read. And then you understand why as he keeps writing. He says, the internet and social media have trained my brain to read a paragraph or two and then start looking around. When I read an online art, I want you to listen to this and see if this is true for you. When I read an online article, after a few paragraphs, I glance over at the sidebar to judge the article's length. My mind strays and I find myself clicking on the sidebars and the underlined links. Soon I'm over at CNN.com reading about the president's latest tweets and details of the latest terrorist attack or perhaps checking tomorrow's weather. Worse, I fall prey to the little boxes that tell me, if you like this article or book, you'll also like. Or I glance at the bottom of the screen and I scan across the teasers for more engaging tidbits like 30 Amish facts that'll make your skin crawl. Or... Top 10 celebrity wardrobe malfunctions. Or Walmart cameras captured these hilarious photos. Now, none of us need to click on that because we can just cruise up the boulevard and check out what's going on at Walmart, okay? But then he says, a dozen or more clicks later, I have lost interest in the original article. So he is saying, and the the... This is a a great piece here. It's called, The Death of Reading is Threatening the Soul. I would recommend it. What he says is that social media is an enemy of reading. And what I'm saying is, social media can be an enemy of rest. Because it diverts our attention away from that which is most important, and it dilutes our attention, it spreads it out, and it keeps us from giving our full attention to any one thing, because we're trying to give it to everything. Now, so that's the first principle I want to leave you with tonight. If we don't manage our social media use wisely, we're not going to be able to rest in a healthy way. We're not going to be able to rest well in a way that helps us recover uh, and in a way that prepares us to get back out on the battlefield and serve the Lord. But here's the next one. If we say yes to too much, we can't tend to what is most important. If we say yes to too many things and too many activities and events, we cannot tend to what is most important in our lives. And here's the catch. What is most important in our lives often occurs when there's nothing on the calendar. The most important stuff 
often happens in that margin time. And as we decrease our margin, we are losing space in which the most important things occur. Like conversations about faith. Like praying with your family. Like talking to your kids about Jesus. Like reading a book from the Bible. Like reflecting deeply on a doctrinal issue. Like brainstorming ideas for how the church can be more effective in her ministry to our community. These are the things that happen the most effectively when nothing else is scheduled. But because we've got so much stuff scheduled, we are pushing out the things that are most important to give way for the things that are most urgent. If we say yes to too many things, we cannot tend to that which is most important. You know, sometimes the problem is not that we're too busy, but that we're too busy doing the wrong things. We've said yes to the wrong things, and we've said no to the right things. Or we've said yes to the right things and the wrong things, but our attention and our time is divided, and we don't have enough time to give to that which is most important. Because we've said yes to too many other things. So if we say yes to too much, we cannot tend to what is most important. And what I didn't mention in that list that I rattled off earlier is rest. If we say yes to too many things, rest, which is vitally important in our lives and for our spiritual well-being, it gets pushed to the back burner. All right, here's the last one. If we, if we rest well, we'll be more effective in our ministry. This is counterintuitive. If we rest well, then we will be more effective in our ministry. I'm convinced that because Jesus took time to tend to rest and to decompressing and to prayer, He could fully tend to the needs of others. He received the energy and the power that he needed in order to effectively minister to the people before him in those times of rest. He could not have given what he gave to the masses if he had not received what he needed from the Father. So we've got to stop saying, I cannot stop, I cannot take a break because the work is too important. We've got to change that to, I must Stop. I must take a break because the work is too important. And the work is not going to be carried on as effectively as it can be if I don't take some time and withdraw and take a breath and rest. I've got to stop once in a while if I want to be effective in the Lord's kingdom for the long haul. Now tomorrow is Labor Day. And that's what inspired this sermon. And so my challenge to you before we close is, rest tomorrow. Would you do that? The federal government wants you to do that. <laughs> They've got this holiday, it's called Labor Day. I think the Lord wants you to do that. But I bet some of you have already got your calendars full, don't you? You've already got a to-do list going. I know you. You've already got stuff 
in your brain that you want to accomplish. You want to get the yard mowed. There's some other stuff. Somebody's laughing up here. They want to mow the grass. There's some other stuff. And I'm not saying don't do anything tomorrow. I'm just saying while this is fresh on your mind, take some time, pull away, put your phone down, open your Bible or go to the Lord in prayer, or just lay back on the couch and close your eyes for a minute. Take some rest. But as you know, you're going to need more than just one day a year to slow down. So the challenge continues. Work times of rest into your life. If you do that, God will be honored. God rested on the seventh day in order to show us that rest is important. God will be honored. The kingdom will be better served if you do. And let me tell you, you will be blessed.